ask the Lord's blessing on this time. Lord, all is vain unless the spirit of the Holy One comes down. And so we don't want it to be that we do not have simply because we do not ask. We would ask for you to do things beyond our imagination in this hour together. For there is no education, no eloquence, no experience that can do what spirit alone can do. For what we long for is not accomplished by might or power, but by your spirit only. So we pray that in this uh, weekly gathering that most of us have done thousands of times, uh, that today you would do something that would bear fruit until all eternity. We would pray for a lasting impact from, uh, from what is done, what is said, what is thought, as you would apply to people's hearts here and to their lives in uh, ways I, could not, I would not know to say to do. And we ask all this in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen. Uh, as he mentioned books, it just uh, was impressed to mention something that uh, is in this book, Simplify Your Spiritual Life. Uh, the chapters, by the way, are just one page or two pages each. So if you're kind of inclined to pick up one of these, but you're not uh, a, a real active reader, uh, this would be the place to start. But the chapter I want to call your attention to is called Read One Page Per Day. I, I tell my students, um, as when we talk about uh, intake of scripture, uh, the class that they all have to take, personal spiritual disciplines, is sometimes about things that, often about things uh, they need to develop in their own lives, but sometimes it's about things they already know and already do, but they're getting tools to help others do them. For example, talking about reading the Bible and reading through the entire Bible on a regular basis. I trust that most of my students would be committed to that already. They don't need an exhortation to that. But when we talk about it, I will mention the words of Jesus when he quotes the Old Testament saying, man does not live by bread alone, but by, what, what word? Every word. How are you going to live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God if you've never even read every word? that proceeds from the mouth of God. So I want to encourage you to, if you've never done so before, to set yourself on a path of reading the entire Bible. And that's not the first time you've heard that, but increasingly people who hear that, it just basically goes right over their heads because they say, look, I've never read a book this big in my life. And I know I should, but basically this is like telling someone, flap your arms and fly to the moon. I can't do that. I feel guilty that I haven't and that I don't, but I, I can't do that because I never have done that. I know people who say they graduated from high school, never wrote a book. I have a guy, who friend, he was a roommate for a while in seminary that was converted his last year in college. He said, I, I basically finished college without reading a whole book and that's college graduate so increasingly people are you know watching are just watching television YouTube Facebook 
and there being less and less uh, readers. And therefore they think, you know, I, I know I should, but I can't. Well, let me encourage you to begin by reading one page per day. Could you do that? I mean, most people can read one page per day, even if they do it standing by the bed, even if they do it in the bathroom. Uh, I was once talking about books and when I was pastoring in the Chicago area, and uh, a woman came to me who had three, uh, you know, she had four under age six, and she was homeschooling the older ones. said, I would love to read. How in the world can I do that? I said, could you read one page per day? Well, yeah, I guess, you know, even if, you know, I'm in the bathroom or stand by the bed, I'm so tired I can read one page. I said, we'll try that. Well, she came back six weeks later having read a big 900-page biography. And I could give you other stories like that by people who, who are overwhelmed with young children, with two or three jobs, with being a single parent, who um, j just find it overwhelming to think of reading. But one page per day is doable, and then they end up reading uh, a great deal. What happens when you read one page? You read more. Because 90% of the problem is just showing up, right? Once you're there with a book in hand, you're glad you're there. The problem is just, you know, I, I don't have time to read a whole chapter. So, well, you're freed from having to read a whole chapter. You only have to read one page. And if you read just one page a day, you, you don't find yourself there, okay, I'm going to read three pages now that I'm here and I'm enjoying it. If you just read one page a day, that's 365 pages a year. Well, that's two books of this size every year. That is more than the average college graduate reads in a year's time. See how doable that is? That, that's, that's simple. And when it comes to reading the Bible, you read three chapters a day, five on Sunday, you'll read this whole book in a year's time. Nobody says you have to read it in a year's time, though. Maybe you take two years. Maybe you take three years. But set yourself the goal of reading an entire, through the entire Bible, at least once, but on a regular basis. I have my students read the biography of George Mueller, who read the Bible every three months. He read it over 100 times in his lifetime. Now, we know from audio versions of the Bible, I've already talked with someone here already who says they listen to the Bible, as I do. I listened to several this morning. We, we know from audio versions, you can, you know, look in the right place there, and it takes about 70 to 72 hours to read the Bible out loud, the whole Bible. That's less time than the average American spends in front of the television in two weeks. If the average American would just read the Bible instead of watching TV, not only would they finish the whole Bible in a year, they'd do it in two weeks. That's doable, isn't it? I'd ask you to turn off the TV for two weeks and use all that time reading the Bible just to show you how... Easy to, I mean, 72 hours, whether it takes you a year, two years, three years. What could be more important than the intake of the Word of God? And so if you said, I, you know, I've just never read a book this big, I'm not a reader, reading is hard for me. 
Okay, read, read a chapter, one chapter a day. Read one page a day in a good Christian book. And it begins to add up. It's, it's really it's just the determination, the discipline, and, and, and you know, I can do that. You can do that. Uh, there are uh, countless Bible reading plans out there. Your pastor can help you uh, find uh, one that would work for you. A friend of mine, Justin Taylor, annually publishes a, a collection of them, and he has about 40 of them. I have a link somewhere on my website, but 40-something different Bible reading plans out there. Many people will start in, you know, never done it before, so they'll start in Genesis, and their plan is to read all the way to maps, you know. And uh, that's great. If that's the way it works for you, amen. Have at it. But a lot of people who try it that way get through Genesis and then the second half of Exodus and then Leviticus and, you know, they just can't keep up the momentum. It's like, Lord, I've never even seen anybody with leprosy before, you know. And, you know, just day after day of talking about leprosy. And so I have found that for me, it helps me maintain the momentum if I read in multiple places at the same time. So, for example, there are a lot of Bible reading plans that will have you in the Old Testament, in the Psalms, and in the New Testament every day. You read a little bit in each one. And uh, I, I use a plan that has me in five different places. Uh, well, when I, I read through the whole Bible in the first part of the year. And when I'm in that time, I will read in five different places. And I can tell you more about that later if you want, but... Um, the benefit is when I'm reading in some of the more difficult spots, especially in Leviticus and Numbers, I, can, I know, well, in a minute I'll be over in the Psalms. That's a lot easier reading. So if I can just hang on for a little bit here, it's going to get a lot more interesting. In a few minutes I'll be in the New Testament. That's a lot easier reading. And by that means, I, I don't find myself just day after day after day in passages that are, are tough uh, to keep your momentum up. So the, these things are doable. Remember, the things God has given for all of his people to do, like the intake of the word of God, like prayer, they have to be doable for everybody, don't they? Because God has children all over the world, doesn't he? From 9 to 99. Low IQs to high IQs. Very little education to a great deal of education. To those with very few Christian privileges, I was on a mission trip once to the bush country of Kenya. Not even the pastor had a Bible. And then there are people like every person in this room with many Christian privileges. You, you go to church where the Bible is preached. If you think that's common, you haven't looked for a church in a while. But if a person didn't live in an area where they could find a Bible-preaching church within reasonable driving distance, well, they can turn on Christian radio and they can hear a John MacArthur or someone like that preach the Bible on Christian radio. A lot of it there is not worth listening to, but some of it is. If a person didn't live near a Christian radio station, if they can get on the Internet, they can hear the best Bible preaching and teaching in the world 24-7, even by guys who are dead. And you have Christian books available to you right in your own church building. But if a person didn't have a church or Christian books were available at their own church, there are Christian bookstores, some of which sell Christian books. <laughs> but if a person didn't live near a good Christian bookstore, well, if you can get online 
You can have almost any, any Christian book you want tomorrow if you'll pay overnight shipping. And if you have an iPad or Kindle, something like that, you can have almost any Christian book you want in your hands in 30 seconds. And all of these Christian advantages are available to every person in this room. And so if you, with all your Christian privileges, if you can't successfully profit from the Word of God individually on a daily basis, what about our brothers and sisters in the middle of India who have none of your advantages? Are you prepared to say they can't have a meaningful devotional life because they don't have all your Christian privileges? No, none of you would say that. My point is, the, the basic things of the devotional life, finding meaningful time in the Word of God regularly, satisfying prayer life, those have to be doable by everybody, right? Including you. If with all your advantages you can't find these things meaningful and satisfying on a regular basis, you're basically saying nobody in the world can because most people in the world don't have your Christian advantages. Nobody should have to go to seminary to profit satisfyingly from the Word of God and pray meaningfully. These things are intended for all of God's people. And I'm saying all that to, to convince some of you, I hope, with the biblical logic that the, the, the regular things of the Christian life are doable by you. By you. And so if you've been one who says, look, I, I love the Word of God. I try to get in it when I can, but you don't understand. I'm working three jobs. I'm working 80 hours a week. I'm a single parent. I've got a lot of little ones at home. One page per day. Well, this conference has been about the theme, responding biblically to the increased complexity and pace of life discovered that didn't apply to very many people here most people pretty relaxed pace a lot of spare time bored often looking for things to do but for the handful of people to whom this applied uh, we have been talking about things just just like we just did one one way to continue learning and profiting and growing your own soul and increase pace and complexity of life is well read one page a day But that, that's a huge subject that we could approach from many perspectives, but to do so in any kind of meaty way, Friday night we talked about the refreshing observance of the Lord's Day. We looked at the, the fourth commandment on remembering the Sabbath day to keep it holy, and we saw how that is fulfilled in Christ. And that when we come to Christ, we keep the Sabbath, or rather... He keeps the Sabbath for us, and we get credit for that in him. Just as he kept all Ten Commandments for us, he kept all the law for us, and we get credit for that when we believe into Christ. You've heard of being united with Christ by faith. That's what it means when we say we believe in Jesus. Really, the, the Greek word means we believe into Jesus. We are united with Christ by faith, and we get credit for his life, for his righteousness. And on the cross, he got credit for our life. That's why the wrath of God was poured out upon him. So, um, excuse me a minute. Having trouble with this guy. Um, so, 
Christ, the, 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 Colossians tells us that the Sabbath was foreshadowing Christ and, and the idea of resting from our works, not trying to work our way to God, not trying to impress him with our righteousness, but we rest in Christ, that's what the Sabbath foreshadows, as well as our eternal rest in heaven. Therefore, we, when we look to the New Testament, where the Sabbath uh, is not repeated, that's one of the Ten Commandments. Some would say it's the only one not repeated in the New Testament. The apostles never taught the Gentiles to keep the Sabbath because, as I argue, it was fulfilled in Christ. But we do have this New Testament term in Revelation 1.10, the Lord's Day. So what do we do with that? Sunday is different, but it's, it's not the Sabbath. And we said there's basically two principles there. Number one, that uh, we don't have a list of regulations to keep, Sabbath regulations like you find in the Old Testament. We have two principles in the New Testament, and they are first, our first and greatest priority on the Lord's Day is to worship him with his people. We do have a command in the New Testament, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And the apostles kept that command by gathering together on the Lord's Day. And so we have an apostolic command about not forsaking our assembling together. We have an apostolic example of keeping that command. You put those together, you get a pretty strong principle there that worship with other believers is our first and greatest priority on the Lord's Day. And the second principle is, since it is the Lord's Day, and the Lord called it that, we are to make it a day of focusing on him. And we are to evaluate every activity by that fact. What fact? It's the Lord's Day. So um, we, we looked at several views of the Lord's Day, but I argue that for 90% of evangelicals, they have no theology of the Lord's Day. That they never ask themselves, well, am I free to do this or not do this because it's Sunday? They just don't ask that question. Am I permitted to do this on Sunday or am I not permitted to do this on Sunday? Does the fact that it's Sunday, how does it affect my behavior other than I, I go to church? But other than going to church, there's really no difference between Sunday and any other day in terms of my activities or any other day off maybe. Well, I think the New Testament argues against that by calling Sunday the Lord's Day. And now every day, Bible says every day is in one sense is the Lord's day. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. That's true every day. But the Lord has made one day special by calling it the Lord's day. Similarly, we're to honor our father and mother every day, right? And yet there's one day we call Mother's Day. One day we call Father's Day in which we give special honor on that day. That's the way it is with the Lord's day. It's the Lord himself who calls Sunday the Lord's day. And it's a day when we give him special honor, first of all, by worshiping him with his people, and then by evaluating every activity by the fact it is the Lord's Day. So how do you decide whether you have the freedom to do something or not on Sunday? Here's how you decide. It's the Lord's Day. So do I do this or do I not have the freedom to do this on Sunday? Well, it's the Lord's Day. That's how you decide. And that means you may decide differently than I do about certain things. But as long as you're in being intentionally biblical 
and you're not doing so just because you like to do something on the Lord's day and therefore you pronounce it biblical because you like it but rather if you say I believe biblically this is permitted or this is not permitted on the Lord's day then I'm, I'm fine with whichever way you go because you're trying to think biblically even if you differ in your conclusions but we all have more to do than we have time to do right? and the Lord's day is not a day where we feel as though God kind of keeps us in doing what we want to do in order just to obey him no no the Lord's day is putting up walls and saying in this space I'm not going to do anything I don't have to do so I can enjoy the things I really want to enjoy God's people God's gifts, family, God's creation, Christian books. I can read the Bible without one eye on the clock. So we talked about a number of activities there that uh, the Lord's Day is, is ideally suited for. And I said, if, if all this sounds like a burden to you, that do you realize if you were to be, live to be 70 and you lived as we talked about on the Lord's Day, you'd spend 10 years of your life taking naps and reading the Bible and Christian books, taking prayer walks, playing with your children and your grandchildren, enjoying God's creation, having meals and enjoying fellowship with your Christian brothers and sisters in Christ. Does that sound like a burden to you? <laughs> so I said, I dream of a life like that. And God says, here, it's my gift to you. Enjoy this day. But if I don't put up walls like that, my responsibilities, my to-do list comes pouring into that like water into the Titanic. And I'll find myself going 24-7 all the time. Some of us are old enough to remember 20 years ago, we did not have the term 24-7. We did not have, of course, didn't have the internet. So you couldn't do shopping like that online all the time. You didn't have uh, Walmarts open 24-7. You didn't have things open 24-7. Now, praise God. I mean, you need Pedialyte for a baby at 2 a.m. You can get there. Uh, but it used to be that I, I remember you know, outside, you're mowing the yard, you're sweating, you look at your watch and say, oh my goodness, it's quarter to five. Everything's going to be shut down. This is Saturday afternoon. Everything's going to be shut down. I need, if I'm going to have anything for tomorrow, I better go to the store and get it now. So you leave the lawnmower in the yard. You know, you rush in your sweaty T-shirt and shorts to somewhere to get there before five. Because if you don't get it by five o'clock Saturday, you ain't getting it till Monday morning. Now those days are gone for good or ill some good about it some not so good about it but what it forced us to do was get things done by a certain time on Saturday because you could be the biggest atheist in the world the biggest God hater in the world you want to work on Sunday you want to shop on Sunday too bad nothing's open well now because of progress you can work 24-7 if you want you can work 365 days a year you can shop 365 days a year yay 
now I can work all day Saturday and realize it's, I, now I can go get my groceries at 10 o'clock on Saturday night. Yay. Now instead of enjoying my family, taking a nap, or having lunch with Christian brothers and sisters on Sunday afternoon, I can, I can get my shopping done, get my errands run. Yay. That's so why I quoted from USA Today. It says 90% of us feel no more energetic on Sunday than on other days. And the Lord's Day says, we're going to put up these walls, and I'm going to, by God's grace, create this space that though I have a million things I could do, I'm never caught up with the laundry, I'd never have all the shoes shined, I'd never have all the yard work done. I could go 24-7 if I had the strength and still wouldn't get everything done. So I'm going to put up some walls to make sure I enjoy God's good gifts, the things that mean the most to me, the things that the Holy Spirit causes me to really want to do. But I said I don't have time for other days. That's refreshing. That's part of God's solution to the increased pace and complexity of life. So that's what we did Friday night, and I wanted to see, with that summary, if there are any quick questions about that, we're going to talk about Quinnius. If there are any questions about that, and that's some other things, if if we have time, which is doubtful. But um, any questions, especially from those who were here, about the observance of the Lord's Day, going once, going twice. All right. Then yesterday we talked about Quinnius. I intentionally used a Greek word. Being one of your seminary professors, I'm, you know, duty-bound to use Greek at least once while I'm here, right? But I, I didn't use just any Greek word. I used one that I was pretty confident many of you had heard before. The Greek word that's usually translated as fellowship. But I did not use the word fellowship because my point was when I, we say the word fellowship today, I'm convinced that what comes into most people's minds is not fellowship but socializing. And I had these two circles, inner circle, outer circle. The big circle is socializing. It's good. It's a blessing of God. But socializing is when we talk about news, weather, sports, work, family, politics, that's good, that's healthy, that's normal. The godliest Christians do a lot of that. Theologians call that common grace, a gift he's given to everybody. But that's not fellowship. That's not koinonia, which is qualitatively different. The inner circle, koinonia, is talking about God and the things of God. And my contention is we do much less of that than we think, even at church. Reflect on the conversations you had this morning since or overheard since you got on this church campus. How many of them had anything to do with God and the things of God? Rather, you heard about the buzz from my home, well, not my original home state, but where I live now, after 31 years, finally beat Florida. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I, I'm going to uh, Tallahassee in February, so they'll get their hit, you know. There too. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, I know. I'm, this is like Paul among the Pharisees and Sadducees, and he knew which bombs to throw in there. So, 
Um, well, and it's normal and healthy. I mean, it's fun. We enjoy that. I mean, I, you know, we all love to talk about news, weather, sports, work, family, grandchildren. By the way, my daughter still is home. Thank, thank the Lord she's not delivered. Friday night when I was here, I got a phone call. She was rushed to the hospital. Uh, thought she was delivering a grandchild a little early. Uh, did not last night. The news was they got flooded. Uh, uh, the hurricane it came through the Gulf. We always get the residual rain up there, and their basement got four or five inches of water. And so my wife was over there, and that was the big news last night. Um, so, I mean, you know, that's what you talk about. I mean, you, you talk about life, what's going on in your life. That's normal. It's health. It's good. Nothing wrong with it, but it's not fellowship. And my point is if we are not intentional, we can, even at church, never talk about God and the things of God. And I believe that the Holy Spirit puts within us a craving to do that. One of the marks of knowing if you're a Christian is the Holy Spirit's presence means you have holy hungers and longings and appetites you didn't have before. If you're indwelled by the Holy Spirit, that means a second person is living in your body. If you're an expectant mom, three people live in your body. It's not a force. It's 40% of Southern Baptists believe, according to a Lifeway survey, the Holy Spirit is a person. And that other person living within the Christian is not passive. He's not just another person. He is the Holy Spirit. And when he indwells any flesh and blood creature, there's evidence, fruit, or to put it another way, and I don't want to sound irreverent here, but if the Holy Spirit of Almighty God were to indwell a cat or a dog, it's impossible to think that cat or dog would be unchanged, right? I don't want to pretend to know how they would be different, but it's impossible to think that the Spirit of God could suddenly indwell a cat or a dog and they'd be unchanged. How much more, those made in God's image, when they are indwelled by the Holy Spirit, there's evidence, there's fruit. You have new holy hungers you didn't have before the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You hunger for the holy word of God you used to find boring or irrelevant. You hunger for fellowship with God's people. The Spirit of God makes you want to talk about the word of God with other people. Once you want to talk about the shared Christian experience. How did you do this with your kids, according to the Bible? When you were, in your job, when you're pressured to do something that's contrary to the Bible, how do you deal with that? How do you vote in this election as a Christian? How do you handle this temptation as a Christian? What, what, are, what Christian books are you reading? What's it, what's it meaning? What are you getting from that? I mean, you want to talk about God and the things of God, answers to prayer, opportunities to share the gospel. You want to talk about God and the things of God. That's one of the evidences of the Holy Spirit's presence. He changes your heart. He puts holy hungers, holy appetites, holy longings there. You live, long to live in a body without sin anymore. You long to live with a mind no longer affected or drawn to temptation ever again. You long to live in a holy and perfect world where there, there is no more flooding and there is no more, no more hurricanes and there's no more racism and there's no more abortion and there's no more frustrations or traffic jams and you long to live in that holy and perfect world with holy and perfect people 
what Jonathan Edwards called a world of love. And you long at last to see the face of the one the angels call holy, holy, holy. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in all those in whom he dwells. And so you, if the Spirit is there, you, you don't find talking about the Bible and the things of God boring. That doesn't mean there aren't boring Bible study teachers. That doesn't mean there aren't boring people. But you find it irrepressible to talk about God and the things of God. There's nothing that stimulates you, nothing grabs your attention like that. I trust that's why most of you are in Sunday school. You want to hear more and perhaps talk more about God and the things of God. Well, that talking about God and the things of God, that's koinonia. That's fellowship. And that's not socializing. Again, the big picture, socializing, good, healthy, and normal. We're all for it. But lost people can do that. We need to make sure, be intentional about koinonia, where we talk to our brothers and sisters in Christ about God and the things of God. There are a million ways to do that. We talked about some of them yesterday. As How do you do? just stimulate that with individuals? You go to lunch with somebody. We gave 10 different questions. You can put in your phone and bring those up and you know, say, hey, what have you been reading in the Bible lately? How's your, how's your ministry going? Whatever your ministry is in the church, how's it going? Up to church-wide kind of meetings. Your pastors already expressed some intention this morning to try to cultivate that. Good leadership does not presuppose koinonia. Lots of meetings do not ensure lots of koinonia. There has to be an intentionality about it, and it needs to start with the leadership, from pastoral leadership all the way to Sunday school class leadership to ministry team leadership. And anyone who feels a lack of koinonia in their life, your, your individual initiative why I gave those individual questions when you're with someone you can take initiative to move from the small talk to the big talk small talk is good healthy and normal nothing wrong with it in its place I'm saying we just have a famine of fellowship it has to be cultivated it has to be intentional once we're there I think true Christians thrive on it the problem is just getting there and I, I didn't mention this, but I, th I think there's a parallel between koinonia and evangelism. Both suffer, and I think both for the same reasons. If we could simplify evangelism as talking about God and the things of God with unbelievers, fellowship is talking about God and the things of God with believers. And we're almost as reluctant to talk about them with believers as unbelievers. Meaning what? We think, well, now's not the right time. They'd rather talk about football. They'd rather talk about school. They'd rather talk about, you know, the weather, fishing. Or they'll think I'm trying to be Mr. Spiritual if I bring up something like this now. So now's not the right time. They'd rather not talk about that. We think that about evangelism. We think it about fellowship. The difference is with fellowship with other believers, within them, the work of the Holy Spirit gives them a craving to talk about God and the things of God. satisfying that's what we did yesterday and pulling back and getting the 30,000 foot view that doing that in the church helps us cope with 
the increased pace and complexity of life. Number one, it's comforting and encouraging. Second, it's very practical in terms of, you know, how do you, how do you handle this? <laughs> Surely you've, you've got too much email. How do you handle that? Surely you have this problem with too many kids' activities. We need to slow down, simplify. How did you do that? How do you do that? To talk about those things, that, that helps. That's one of the ways God uses to help us scrape barnacles off our, our spiritual life so that sailing is smoother. So now, let me say, any questions about our discussion on koinonia? Anything to follow up with that? Going once. Going twice, you're going to hear me drone on for another 15 minutes and 30 seconds now. Uh, if you don't have any questions, comment. Yeah, good question, Donna. She said, does it come out naturally? Do you force yourself? How, how do you do this? Well, when I, and, and it often happens, I guess, you know, I credit, of course, the Holy Spirit with that. When I feel like, you know, this, this, is, this conversation is not edifying. I mean, this is going nowhere. I mean, I can't walk away. <laughs> uh, I, I just it, it, I intentionally say, you know, how can I improve this situation? Puritans use that term a lot, improving something um, when it comes to the spiritual life. And so I will ask myself, how can I improve this? And a very practical thing for me, and if, if we have time, I was, this is where I was going to go for some point. On my phone, uh, if you use iPhone, I know there's something similar. I just don't know what the term is on, on the uh, Android system. But there's a, there's a notes app. And you use Evernote or OneNote for the same thing. But have it on my phone, and you, you can just, if you carry a little notepad, you can do the same thing, you know, with a, with a notepad. I keep koinonia cultivating questions on my phone. And I can just turn to that. It's not like, well, Donna, it sure is boring talking to you here. Hold on a second. You know, let me pull this out, you know. Uh, I'll just sort of surreptitiously pull it out. If I can't think of anything, now usually I've got some things on my mind. I, you know, I just have some ready to go. I'll say, well, Donna, you reading any, any books? You know, what are you reading right now? And, and go from there. Where are you reading the Bible right now? Or um, I just ask, you know, what about, you know, the, your, your ministry or something like this? I, I just have some that I am just have ready to go. But if someone says, I don't have some ready to go, well, well put them in your phone. Or carry them in a little notepad. Just something that says, I have found these questions helpful to stimulate meaningful conversations. Folks, I'm just arguing for us to talk about things that matter. And talk about them as though they do matter. And most of us have to, you know, press out of the, the shell to make that happen. Uh, because we're, we're used to just the same old ways of talking about things. How are you? Fine. And, you know, you, you talk to people all day long and you never talk about anything meaningful with anybody. And I know most conversations are very quick. I've had 50 of them this morning. How are you doing? Fine. But do we never talk about things that matter? 
I mean, we're to be transformed how? According to Romans 12, too. Renewing of your mind. I want to be transformed. I want to be more like Christ. But it doesn't happen by just being passive, by doing nothing and just showing up. That's a big part of it. But I have to take initiative for my growth in Christ. And so one of the ways that he will do that is by work, the Holy Spirit working through you to bless me, to edify me. But how am I going to stimulate that on my end? Well, one of the ways is by asking questions. And a practical way to do that, I mean, I've got probably 150 questions or so in my phone. Got them categorized. Questions for seminary students, questions for lost people, questions for people at church, you know. I just, you know, when I come across great questions, I, I try to preserve them so I can use them later. And it helps me to have them kind of categorized. Um, does that help? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, if you thank you for that reminder. I in the ten Koinonia cultivating questions, which I keep in my phone, uh last uh, yesterday, uh the the single best question I've ever come across in my life, both for opening gospel conversations and talking about the things of God with church people, is just seventeen letters, six syllables. How can I pray for you? With lost people, you got to realize they almost, they may have never been asked that before. You and I hear it every Sunday school class, every Wednesday night prayer meeting. And the form we hear it in is any prayer requests? But what we're saying is, how can we pray for you, right? You realize most lost people have never heard that. I've had people weep at that. You'd pray for me? For free? <laughs> I mean, they've been in a church tradition where pe they get prayed for, but they have to pay for it. And it touches them very meaningfully, personally. And then when you pray for someone, you, you have the right then to come back later and say, hey, I've been praying for that. How's it going? So you keep having the opportunity for these open doors. And the very same people who will resist any attempt to witness to them, you can just see them stiffen up when you bring up the things of God. If you say, how can I pray for you? I've seen the doors open. The shoulders relax. Because, see, I'm not trying to sell you anything anymore, coming from their eyes. I'm not trying to force anything on you. I'm asking how I can serve you. How can I help you? I don't want anything from you. I'm not trying to push anything on you. I just want to know how I can help you and serve you. People don't meet many people like that. But the same is true for Christians. How can I pray for you? You know, everybody you've met so far this morning is fine, right? How you doing? Fine. Good. Then you immediately ask that same person, how can I pray for you? Well, I may be losing my job. Or... I went to the doctor this week and he's got me worried. Or would you pray for my, my grandson? I'm afraid he's going the wrong direction. You, you get down into, because there's a hurt in every home. 
There's a hurt in every home. There's a hurt in every heart. You can go to the biggest mansion in this county, and I guarantee you there's a hurt behind that door. No matter what the veneer is on the outside, the, the success and the prosperity, there's a hurt in every home, and there's a hurt in every heart. Because we live in a Genesis 3 world, and each of us makes sinful choices that cause scars on our relationships and scars in our lives from God's discipline if we're Christians. And you don't have to go very far to find out what those hurts are. Most people don't care. Most people don't take the time or probe far enough. But that one simple question, how can I pray for you, will lead to meaningful conversations. Now, maybe you don't want to go there. Maybe you don't want to find out what somebody's hurts are at this point. Not today, maybe. Maybe, maybe next time, but not today. But there are so many other ways to talk about things that matter. We're saturated with commercials about things we don't need and things that don't matter. We watch, you know, flippant stuff on TV and see flippant stuff on Facebook. And I'm not putting it down. I'm just saying it, it's, it's entertainment at best. It, it's not meaningful and satisfying. And to break out of that, we have to be intentional. And we desperately need it in the church. Again, let's draw back. You've got... This many people comes together for two hours on Sunday morning and you leave and you never talk to anybody about something that matters. You hear things that matter in the word preached, the word sung, the word presented, the word prayed. I mean, you, you, you hear the best possible truth and information. But we're to edify one another be edified one by one another. If we don't talk about things that matter, it doesn't happen. If it doesn't happen here, it's sure not going to happen out there, right? If it doesn't happen here, it's not going to happen out there. Anyone else? Questions about koinonia. Someone usually has to take the initiative for it to happen on an individual basis and on a larger scale basis. Your pastor is attempting to do that I mean just in the announcements this morning so mm Yeah, and we're not talking about forcing anybody to divulge anything or to even speak. But I think what will happen is when people are in the presence where koinonia is happening, they, that's trust is being developed, and they lean into that. So I don't want anybody to fear coming here that you're going to be forced to have to speak or forced to have to divulge some secret. I mean, if you just want to sit quietly and listen for, for years, pastors, we're glad you're here. We're not going to force anything on anybody. I'm just saying I think most people are sitting there and they're, they're aching to talk about something on something beyond a surface level. So number one, there, there's the need. Second, I mean, clearly it's a biblical teaching. And so how do we make it happen?
And so there are a lot of things, there, there are levels of this even. I can say, hey, you know, what are you reading lately? And there can be, I don't even know you. We don't have trust really yet. But I can still talk about something that matters. I can, I can sitting next to somebody on a plane today, never met in my life, never see again. I can say something like, you reading anything right now? And that takes the conversation a little deeper level than the weather. It, because it has the potential maybe to take it even deeper. Yeah, I'm reading a book about marriage because my marriage is breaking apart and so forth. And I, I, you know, who knows where that might go. I was with you, I think, to the last part of that, Kim. How can we grow this church? Ooh. Well, I could be a wealthy man if I could. Uh, how do we grow? Just give me something real quick on how to grow this church. Well, um, excuse me? His, his question, we boiled it down to looking for, you know, we talked about a number of things here. Is there something kind of a central stackpole or something simple that will grow the church? Not just us as individuals, but grow the church. And I said, I, if I had that simple answer, I could be a wealthy man. But, um, I, yeah, I mean, the, what I, I would just encourage is faithfulness to Christ and his word. That's what we did. We taught from the Bible each in all these sessions. And... We've seen the word of God is timeless. Here we are in an age where a majority of people in a survey said God doesn't understand computers. So certainly he can't, you know, he doesn't understand all these things that make our life so complex. Well, come to find out, he had the solution there all along. Refreshing observance of the Lord's Day. Importance of koinonia. I mean, we, we see that reflected in the culture even. As, as people become more and more disconnected by things that pretend to connect us, th they still crave a place where everybody knows their name. They still crave, they go to Starbucks so they can talk to somebody. You know, spend five bucks for a cup of coffee, and they proliferate. As I said, I've seen Starbucks literally across the street from each other. But people go there because it's one of the few places they can sit and talk to somebody face-to-face. And when they want to meet with somebody, you know, we, we need to sit. And I'm, I met for lunch with Bob Coughlin this week. Where did we go? We went to Starbucks. It's a place where we can go and talk to people. So there's a, even that cultural backlash to the distance our technology, with all its benefits, is placed. Uh, so as we said, you can't download a hug. And faster internet connections do not make us more like Jesus faster. It, it, the Bible says we're growing oaks of righteousness, and you can't do much to speed up the growth of an oak. You can give it the greatest fertilizer and cultivation, the proper amounts of rain and everything else, but that's still going to speed it up a lot. And the same is true of the growth of a soul. same is true of the growth of a church. Uh, instant growth in a church is almost always a bad thing. So faithfulness to Christ and the word of God, year after year, 
I mean, sheep love sheep food. And a church is faithful that they will, they will attract sheep. And healthy sheep will produce other sheep. And goats won't like that. And it takes a while. I remember when I was in seminary being told, Brother, you preach your word and they'll come. Well, I discovered you preach your word and they'll leave. Uh, but the ones who stay and the ones who do come will come for the right reasons. And that, that's what you want. I, and I'd rather have 10 people that are truly converted than 100 who say they are and they're not. So, uh, again, what's the, to answer your question, faithfulness to Christ, faithfulness to his word, that, that's simple in one sense. And um, we don't need a lot of strategies and brilliant ideas and cultural relevance. When people come to church, they come because they're looking for something different. The church can never do what the world does as well as the world can. We'll never do dramas and movies and other things as well as the world can in, in church. And so people are coming, they want, they're looking for something different. So let's give them one thing they can't get anywhere else. They can get political advice other places. They can get, they can get some practical needs met other places. But there's one thing we have, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean we don't serve practical needs. We do. It doesn't mean we don't address political issues when they relate to the Bible, like abortion. But there's one thing we have no one else has, and that is the message that makes people right with God. And so we want to make sure we, are, we preach Christ and him crucified. Never teach a Sunday school lesson that would be acceptable in a Jewish synagogue or in a Muslim mosque. If I talk about honoring your parents, and we should, the Bible does, but that's acceptable in a Jewish synagogue or in a mosque. If I say honor your parents because, because of Christ, honoring him, being faithful to Christ, now that's not acceptable there. We don't want to just produce moralists. We don't want to just talk about good morals and teach good principles and talk about, you know, we, we want to raise our kids right. And you can make little Pharisees out of them and moralists. So we, that's why we want to exalt Christ on all that we do because that's the one thing we have no other place they can get. Let's pray. Father, I pray for this church to be a Christ-centered, Christ-exalting church based upon the Word of God. May it never stray from that. May it only grow in that. I pray you would develop, cultivate koinonia in this congregation toward that end, that Christ be exalted and people feast on Jesus and find him satisfying. For there is none like him. Encourage and build this church, its leadership, Every person who attends, may they find the ability to feast on the word of God here and grow in grace. May you be glorified, Lord, bring much lasting fruit from what we've done. I pray for the next hour and ask all this in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen.